1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 1 through 9 today. It is always a joy to see you in the house of the Lord and uh, for us to experience God's word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. The precious, authentic, sufficient, and errant, wonderful word of God reads, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you were still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow servants, you are God's field, God's building. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. One of my favorite things to see a baby do is to stick out their bottom lip right before they cry. That pout face absolutely melts me every time. Whenever Kayla puckers her bottom lip just before she cries, I'm I'm just like, uh, I just melt in her hands. Babies acting like babies sometimes is cute. But when an adult acts like a child, it's not okay. Paul is writing to church at Corinth, and he is encouraging them to grow up. Paul planted the church at Corinth, and he lived among the people of Corinth for about 18 months, about a year and a half. And he's now been gone from that church for anywhere between three and five years. And he has penned this letter to simply say, church, it is time to grow up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, we read these words. The Apostle Paul says to the church, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. In order to help this church to give up childish ways and to grow up, in chapter 2 we see that the Apostle Paul clearly communicates to this church that there are two type of people. The first type of person we learned last week is the natural person. The second type of person is who he calls the spiritual person. The natural person or the natural man is a person who is not saved. It is a person who does not have the Holy Spirit. 
It is a person who is controlled by their flesh, who goes the path of human wisdom. The natural person is a person who does not understand the things of God. The second type of person is the spiritual person. The spiritual man is the person who has, the Bible says, in your Bibles, when you look at verse 16, it says, who has the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The spiritual person is a person who has been made alive, who is regenerate, who has been saved by God, who has been given God's spirit, and as a result, the spiritual person has a proclivity. They, they lean towards spiritual things. They walk with the Lord, talk to the Lord, and they understand and are growing to understand God's word and God's way. So Paul teaches the church of Corinth that there are two types of people, the natural person and then the spiritual person. But I want you to notice what Paul does in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, but our brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, notice what he says. He says, but our brothers could not address you. So first, he's dealing with the past. He's saying that when I was among you for those 18 months, when I preached and started the church, I could not come to you at that time as spiritual people. I could not speak to you as people who had a proclivity towards Christ, as people who was walking in Christ. He says, in the past, I could not address you in this way. Now, why could he not address them in that way? It's because they had not yet learned the way of Christ. Christianity was new to them. In fact, we see that Paul uses a powerful analogy here, and he says that they were infants in Christ. When we first come to Jesus, we come to Jesus as infants in Christ. No one starts off in Jesus fully mature. In fact, in John chapter 3, we see Jesus talking to a man by the name of Nicodemus. And listen to what he tells Nicodemus. John chapter 3, starting at verse number 3. He said, Jesus answered him saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When we become born again, when we become born of the spirit, we become infants in Christ. We, are, we become Christians, but we accept a new way of life. A new way of life that is completely contrary to the world's way of life. A new way of life that is completely contrary to human wisdom. That is counter-cultural. And we have to learn, we have to grow up in that way. We have to learn to crawl by faith. We have to learn to walk by faith. 
We have to learn to stand by faith. We have to learn to run by faith. We have to learn to forgive. We have to learn to find our identity in God. We have to learn to live pure lives. We have to learn to be honest and to have integrity. We have to learn to be other-centered. We have to learn to take off the old things and to put on the new things because before we were born again, we lived in a way that everyone else in the world lived. And it was by our nature went completely contrary, completely different, in a different way than the new way. So Paul, as he's writing his church, he says, when, when I was amongst you, I could not come to you as spiritual people, people who had the mind of Christ. I couldn't deal with you as people who, who just knew these things. I had to deal with you as an infant, as a young child. Paul nourished this church, just as a, a, a parent would nourish a young infant. Let's look at what he says in verse 2. I fed you milk not solid food. Why did the Apostle Paul feed them milk and not solid food? He's going off this analogy of an infant. An infant can't eat solid food until they're, they're ready. They'll choke over solid food. They can't digest it. So Paul said, I came to give you milk. Now, what Paul is not saying, he's not saying that uh, the reason they weren't ready for solid food was because intellectually they wouldn't be able to grasp it. We read and we learn in the book of Corinth that the, the, the church of Corinth was a very knowledgeable church, and they knew a lot of stuff. What he's saying is the, the milk of the word had not yet transformed. The basic things of Christ, about Christ, had not yet captivated them. And he knew that if I started giving you the deeper things of God, it will only make you prideful. You'll know the word, and you'll become arrogant, and your lives will still be a hot mess. So he said, when I came to you, I just kept giving you milk because you weren't allowing that milk to transform you, and I wasn't going to be foolish and give you more deeper things. The milk of the word, what is it? In Hebrews chapter 5, we read these words. The author of the book of Hebrews uses a similar analogy, use the same analogy, and, and goes deeper into it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. So he said, you need the basic word of God in order that you would become skilled in it, skilled in the way of righteousness, skilled in the things of God. You need the basics, and you need to accept the basics before you go deep and allow that to choke you. Many people know God's word, but are not transformed by it. 
Look at what he says in, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The C clause of the verse. He says, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now, what he's saying is, when I was with you in Corinth, you were babies. You were of the flesh because you were babies. He says, but even now, some five years later, you are still babies. Even now, some five years later, you, you still hadn't grown. You still are of the flesh. What is the flesh? You are still of the old nature. You're still living as if you don't know the way of Christ. When we read Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, he explains even more of what it means to be in the flesh. He goes into depth. And basically what it means to be in the flesh, it means to be self-absorbed, self-centered. It means to do things by impulse based upon what you want, not what God wants. It means to do things based upon the, the world's standards or the world's ways and not God's ways and God's standards. They're self-absorbed, pleasing self. Next verse, look at what he says. Verse number three, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you being merely human? Are you being merely human? Look at what Paul is saying here. He's saying that you all are, are spiritual infants because you're self-absorbed like an infant. An infant, all they care about is themselves. That's all they care about. They're, they're not taking, they're not thinking about a situation and thinking about what everybody else is thinking. They don't, they don't care how their mother feels or if the food is being prepared. It's give me my food. Pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. They're cooking. Pancakes, pancakes. I want pancakes. Right? They want what they want. And that's what was going on in the church of Corinth. Here they had been walking with God for some time, and they were still being driven by their own carnal desires. And they wanted what they want, and they went after it. And how do we know that they were self-centered and self-focused? Well, the Bible says that Paul says that they were filled with jealousy and strife. An infant in Christ, all they think about is themselves. Jealousy is self-centeredness to the max. It says, I want what you want. I don't care what you have to go through to get that. I don't care if God has not sovereignly chosen me to have it. I want it. And since I don't have it, I'm going to throw a fit in my heart. Strife says, not only am I going to throw a fit in my heart, but I'm going to mistreat you. I'm going to cold shoulder you. I'm going to be short with you. I'm going to tell myself in my own mind that the reason why we can't get along is because you're stuck up and you think that, that you're better than me. See, notice what Paul says. He says, he uses it twice in this term. He says it in verse number three, and behaving only in a human way, 
And then he uses it in verse 4, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? That's interesting, isn't it? The church of Corinth should have been like, well, we're humans. What do you expect? You're saying that we're behaving like humans. We're humans. But when we have been born again, we are not merely human. We are not merely flesh. We are not merely natural. We are peculiar. We are different. We don't live in, with self-centeredness and self-absorption and self-intoxication. We live with a God-centeredness. We live with the view of, of a sovereign God that says God is in complete control and he knows what I need. He is good and he loves me. Not merely human. Paul's looking at the church of Corinth and he's saying, you guys are acting just like the world. And the world, they're divided. And the world says, I follow, I follow, I follow. Not the body of Christ. We're to be united. They were looking at a leader and identifying with that leader selfishly and using that identification in order to, to find their own significance. And in order really to be arrogant towards the other leader and say, I don't care what this person has to say. This is my pastor. This is my leader. Paul is coming. He's saying that is human. That's not an attribute of the Holy Spirit. The attribute of the Holy Spirit is peace, love, joy, gentleness, patience, and unity. Whenever there's division, we are living in a human way. At your home, two Christians, husband and a wife, there's jealousy, there's strife. You all can barely speak to each other, can't stand each other. You come to church and act like everything is great and you're in love with each other. That's human. We have been born again. We have been given new hearts. We've been given a new mind, a new mind that's supernatural, not merely human. You see what Paul says? We have been given the mind of Christ, not the mind of this world. He says in Romans chapter 12, be renewed, have a renewed mind, be transformed, have a transformed mind. Sadly so, in the church, Many of us have been saved for 15, 20, 50 years, and our mindset is not much better than it was when we were in the world. We throw religion. We may be more religious. We may know a couple more hymns. We may know five Bible verses. We may know tradition. But we are just as much of a hell raiser as we was before we knew Christ. The word of God, even the milk of God, it transforms us. Knowing that we are loved by a God who gave his only begotten son, it transforms us. And then as we grow, the, the, the meat of the word transforms us even more. The meat of the word says not only has God given his only begotten son, but I am justified, I'm sanctified. One day I'm going to be glorified, and we know how these truths work and look, and we're able to apply them to our own lives. We're skilled. And then we go from someone who is just receiving to someone, as the writer in Hebrew says, who is now teaching and giving. But I think our, our, church, our church culture tells us that it's okay to be an infant from conception until we die. Our church, church culture says it's okay 
to be this way until we die. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says that we are expected to change. You know, we have three kids under three. And uh, <laughs> why y'all laughing? <laughs> we got to work on this for us. We have to work on it. And uh, it's interesting to watch how they grow and the natural progression that takes place. Uh, the way with, it went with our kids, my, my wife nursed. And then after nursing, the, the babies went to a bottle, and we hold the bottle for them. And then after a while, they're able to hold their own bottle. And then after holding their own bottle, we begin to feed them solid food. And then after feeding them solid food, they're able to hold the spoon themselves and feed themselves. It's crazy, right? And then after feeding themselves, when they're teenagers, they're going to be able to cook food for themselves. Scrambled eggs, hot dogs, pancakes. One day my son is, Lord willing, going to invite me over to the house and he's going to grill a steak for me. And he's going to feed me. Do you see how in the natural we grow from being an infant to an adult? It's the same way in the spiritual. God expects us when we're born again. We get fed. We come to church. We learn what it means to have integrity. We learn what it means to pursue Christ, to put on Christ. We get fed, and then after a while, we're able to feed ourselves through, through devotion, through prayer, through fasting. And then we're able to hook up with brothers and sisters and feed each other at coffee shops in each other's homes and cook for ourselves and then teach. That is the natural progression of a child, and that should be every Christian's natural pro progression. I've got a picture for you that a, a friend of mine sent me. It's my, one of my closest friends, Deacon Lance. He comes here often. He's from, from Michigan, only comes once or twice a year. June the 30th, he had a baby girl. Isn't she adorable? So this week, I was thinking about him. I said, man, you haven't sent me another picture since your daughter was born. And then he sent me this picture three months later. Do you see how that child has grown? Whenever we go back home, the first thing my parents say when they see our kids is, wow, look how big they've gotten. Look how much they've grown. <sighs> if people can't look at our lives and say, wow, there's something different about you. Look how much you've grown. And I'm not talking about just being moralistic. I'm talking about a supernatural wisdom that comes from God. Man, you are just growing in wisdom. What have you been doing? You're like a sage now. I remember back in the day I would say something, you'll be right there with me, we'll go and do something foolish, but now with so much love and so much care, you, you tell me no, but then you explain why, and you do it in a way that's not condemning, you do it in a way that, that makes sense. Look how much you've grown. The first person who should be able to say that are, are the people right in your household. Your wife should be able to say that. Your husband should be able to say that. Your parents should be able to say that. Your kids should say, man, mom, you're, you're growing in patience. 
<laughs> we have, I think, as a church, we have the wrong picture of, of spiritual maturity. Some of you, when you hear this, you're like, oh, I'm mature. And then in your mind, you're trying to say that I'm not a spiritual infant. I really, all of us have some immaturity in us. None of us are perfect. All of us are sinners, all of us. Uh, but, but some of us, we know in our hearts of hearts that we're on the milk of the word. We, we don't feed ourselves. We can't feed ourselves. Um, but we're doing like some type of spiritual judo right now where we're trying to make ourselves believe that this message doesn't apply to us, and we have a number of re- reasons why. Maybe the first type of person is say, you know, I, I'm, I'm mature because I know the Bible really well. Knowing the Bible really well does not equal spiritual maturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul is dealing with the church at Corinth. And listen to what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1b says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What is he saying? He's saying this church at Corinth, they had knowledge. They they knew the word. But he still calls them infants. So spiritual maturity is not intellectual assent. Second, another thing, another person that we may have here says, you know, knowing the right people makes you spiritual mature. Knowing the right people. Being in the right circle, being in the right group means that I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm a strong Christian. But that's not spiritual maturity. The church of Corinth, that's exactly what they were doing in this passage. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, as if to say that that made them some type of good Christian. And sometimes that's what we do in the church. Well, my pastor knows me by name. My Sunday school teacher knows me by name. That means that I'm okay in the faith. I'm really strong. That's not what makes us spiritually mature. It's not who we're able to to know. Having spiritual gifts doesn't make a person mature. This church was full of spiritual gifts. Paul encourages them in chapter 1. He says, you have every spiritual gift you need. Chapter 12 through 14, he goes through the list of spiritual gifts. They were a talented church, but yet he calls them infants in Christ. Being a a, a gifted singer, being a gifted preacher, having a a gift to serve does not mean that that you're spiritually mature. Showing up. For church weekly doesn't make one spiritually mature. The church of Corinth was coming to church every single week. They were showing up, but they weren't mature. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that they were showing up to communion and they were getting drunk. So having a, a perfect attendance record doesn't mean that you're growing in the faith. It doesn't mean that you're pursuing maturity. Having spiritual experiences doesn't make one mature. 
This church was speaking in tongues. Folks was prophesizing. And they were a hot mess. And in the church, we got people that's gifted as all can be. But from Monday through Saturday, they're not able to feed themselves. And we're not able to grow. I grew up in a charismatic church. Grew up as a, a PK, a pastor's kid. And I saw people who were really gifted. They could lead worship. They could sing in a choir. They could saw some, met some preachers that can preach. But they were not spiritually mature. You catch them on a weekday, and their thinking was just as carnal as the next person. Spiritual maturity is not intellectual assent, and it's not being able to have an exper a spiritual experience on Sunday morning. So what is it? What is it? What is Christian maturity? Verse number 16 in chapter 2, but we have the mind of Christ. Christian maturity is having a, a mind that is set on doing the will of God. It is a mind that is walking in the spirit, that is walking with God daily. It is a mind that is pursuing God through prayer and through fasting. Romans chapter 8, Pastor Bishop says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? It means to have a mind that is set on the things of God. Constantly. Not for the sake of knowing more than others. Not for the sake of, of just having head knowledge. It's not just coming to church. It is an everyday thing. It is having your heart transformed because you are thinking about God daily, often, Throughout the day, just like an infant eats regularly, we're eating regularly, and we're meditating on the things of God. It's being God-centered. And for some of us, that's not what we do. For, for, for a lot of us, we are just in the same place we were in 10, 15 years ago. We look the same. We might be a little smarter because we've bumped our heads a couple times, so we maybe, maybe we don't get drunk in public anymore. Or after our wife has slapped us five times, maybe we're not having affairs anymore. We may be a little better. But that doesn't mean that we've been spiritually transformed from the inside out. It means that we've just become more moral because we see the results of being stupid. No, growing in the faith is loving Jesus and walking with him every single day. How do we obtain Christian maturity? Two things need to happen. You see it in the text. The first is, is we, need to, we need to work. We need to be active in pursuing it. We need to be active in pursuing it. Verse 5, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each? I planted. Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. So Paul begins to give a, 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 a different picture here, um, a different analogy. The first analogy was a, a, of an infant, and this one is a, 
uh, agricultural analogy. And he's talking about how he planted the church at Corinth, how he and Apollos were active in, in working at the church of Corinth. We know that they were coming around Paul and Apollos, and they were worshiping the gift rather than a giver. And Paul is trying to point them away from worshiping them and to worship God. In fact, he's trying to give them a God-centered perspective, a perspective that says you need to be doing something. You need to be pursuing God. In the next five verses, Paul uses the name of God five times. He's like, we need to be God-centered, and we need to be doing something. Just like me and Apollos, we did something. I planted Apollos watered. Our faith needs to be an action faith. It needs to be a faith that moves. It needs to be a faith that pursues. It needs to be a faith that goes after God in the quiet places of our home. When we're alone, when we wake up, when we're in the shower, when we're cooking. When we're at work, we are actively doing something. We are actively pursuing God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Look at what the word of God says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is our job as Christians, to be working out, to be growing in the things of God and the things of salvation with fear and trembling. That's active. That's daily. That's second by second. Paul tells the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians that we ought to take every thought captive. So how am I pursuing the mind of Christ? I am pursuing it by taking every thought captive. When Satan comes and he tempts me to be that old man, to walk in the flesh, to have hatred in my heart, to be jealous, to have strife, no, I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to take it to the word of God. I'm going to let the word of God blow it up. I'm not going to let it sit. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to waddle in it. I'm not going to try it and try to hide it. No, I'm going, I'm going in active mode. Why? Because I fear God. Fear is the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I fear God because I know who he is. I know that one day I'll stand before him as Lord and as judge. I want to please him because what he's done on the cross for me active. But not only is it active, but growing in Christ is also passive. It's active obedience and it's passive obedience. The next verse in Philippians chapter 12, verse 13, look at what he says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So while we are working, while we are meditating on scripture, while we are praying, while we are talking to brothers and sisters and asking them to hold us accountable, while we are pursuing God, God is at work in us. God's grace is at work. God's grace is helping us to grow to look more like him. So it's me pursuing God, but it's also me trusting that God is doing his work in me. It's me resting in his power and not my own power. I don't know if we believe that God can transform us. Some of us, we're just so set in our ways, and we think that our life right now is, is the, the top that it gets, and we just want to sail into heaven. We want to sail into heaven with the 10 verses we've memorized. We want to sail into heaven, and we don't expect transformation. 
We don't expect to experience God's power. Paul said God's word did not, God, that he did not come with, with just words, but he came with a demonstration of power. He came expecting transformation. I expect God to transform my marriage every year. I expect him to take it higher and higher. I expect him to transform my children. I expect him to transform this church. I expect that five years from now, Newburgh will be crying, teach me about Jesus. Teach me about the Savior. Teach me about his ways. Show me his power. Because God's people are active in pursuing him. And at the same time, they are passive. They are, are, are believing that God is doing something in them. We don't settle for mediocrity because we don't serve a mediocre, a mediocre God. We don't settle and waddle in our sin and our brokenness because we don't serve a God that gave into sin and that settled. We don't settle for a quiet faith because we don't serve a quiet God. Paul says, I planted, I did something. Apollos watered. But then look at what he goes on to say. But God gave the growth. God gave the increase. While we are working, we're trusting that God is going to give the growth. He's going to give us the grace to love each other. He's going to give us the grace to be honest. He's going to give us the grace to be concerned about the souls of others. God gave the growth. So what is Paul telling the church at Corinth? He's saying, stop looking at me and thinking that following me means spiritual maturity. And look at our example of how we worked and how God blessed, and you work, and watch God bless. God is the one who gives the growth, he says. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's pointing them to God-centeredness. He who plants and he who waters are one. That's unity. He says, me and Apollos, we are one. We are unified. And why are we unified? Because we have the mind of Christ. He says, we are servants. See, when we are self-centered and when we are living in spiritual maturity, we glorify the wrong things. We magnify the wrong things. We magnify people. We magnify our homes. We magnify our children. But who we ought to magnify is God because he is life-giving. Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. Paul and and, and, and Apollos were busboys. They were waiters. They were mailmen. When is the last time you caught your mailman coming up to your house and started praising them? The last time you stopped and start glorifying, oh my goodness, you are always on time. You always deliver my mail right on time. When is the last time you, after you paid for your food and ate, you came back to tell a busboy, to praise a busboy? Paul is saying, we are busboys. We are servants of God. Put your attention on him. Don't put it on us. And that goes for every area of our lives. Put your attention on God, not on human things. Be thankful for the gifts that God gives, but don't worship them. Don't worship them. We need to surrender to God's work, and we need to grow from milk to meat. James, chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Check out what James has to say. 
James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. And I believe this is exactly what was happening in the church of Corinth. I believe that this is exactly what's happening in the church today. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So at the church that James was pastoring, people were just angry, and they were probably having house Bible studies and cutting each other off and being arrogant and, and wanting to speak because they felt like they knew more than the next person or they could do better than the other person. So James is speaking to them about that heart issue. But what's going to change their heart? Verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save you. He's saying, let the word of God take root in you and let it change you. Repent from your human way of thinking. Repent from your human way of living and let God transform you. And how does God transform you? Not simply by hearing a message, but by allowing it to transform your heart and being doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Not just hears of the word. Imagine a father who has two twins, and he's a barber. And both of his twin boys are young, and they need a haircut. So he sets the first boy in a chair. Skilled barber cuts his hair, gets out his liners to give him a lining. And the young man sits straight. He moves whenever his father says move. He leans back when his father says lean back. And his father's just lining them up. Gets out the chair. His father looks at his lining. And he says, great, good job. Second son get, gets in the chair, same age. Begins to cut his son's hair. His son is just moving and wiggling. He's trying to line his son up. And every time he lines him up, his son moves. He says, lean back, his son moves forward. He says, lean forward, his son's moved back. He gets out the chair, and his lining is all jacked up. The first boy was obedient. He was active. He let his father work in his life. Probably wasn't perfect, but he let his father do what his father needed to do to get him together. So while he was being obedient and, and sitting under his father's, uh, uh, while his father was cutting him, his father was working on him. And when he got done, it was beautiful. While the other boy was being disobedient, had the same father, sat in the same chair, went through the same process, but his lining was all jacked up. Some of us are walking around with jacked up lining. Our linings are crooked. All of us have some type of crookedness in our lining, but, but some of us, our linings are just way off. And it's because we come, we get in the Father's chair on Sunday morning. We get in the Father's chair when we listen to a sermon on the radio, but we have not made up our mind to do what the Father says do. have not made up our minds to submit to his will. 
And we can't do it in our own strength. We, we can't do it according to our, our own power or our own will. We have to do it by, by seeking God, by praying to him, by cultivating a heart that says, Lord, help me to love you. By fasting, by praying, by, by getting in our word, by taking sermons home and re-looking over those verses, by putting scripture into memory. By resisting temptation and praying to God, saying, God, help me to resist temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I love what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians. Paul is pastoring this church. You hear what I'm saying? Paul isn't just a preacher. He is pastoring this church. Most Christians want a preacher. There's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. A preacher just gets up on Sunday. He's vague. Maybe his job is just to get an emotional response. Or as he says, to craft eloquent words. A pastor cares about his sheep. And he says, not only do I care about the sheep, but I care about the glory of God even more. And I know that God will not be glorified if those who are in this church are not living to glorify him. So what does he do? He's very specific. He's in the sheep's life. And that's what Paul is doing. When we look at 1 Corinthians, he isn't just shooting in the dark at the church. Every chapter, he's very specific about the issues that's going on in the church. But as Christians, a lot of times we don't, we don't want a pastor. We don't want somebody in our business. We don't want somebody holding us accountable. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul calls people out by name sometimes. In Philippians <laughs> chapter 3, he called two sisters out in a letter by name. He says, tell them two sisters to stop bickering and to work together. Us will be like, wait a minute. Why do pastor keep asking me questions about the way I'm living? It ain't none of his business what goes on in my house. We pay him to preach. But we don't see that in the New Testament. Spiritual growth happens when we accept the leaders that God assigned to us. Look at your Bible. Verse 5. When then, we, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each? The Lord assigned to each person in Corinth a pastor. When Paul was there, he was assigned as their leader, as their pastor. When he left, Apollos was assigned. God has assigned you a pastor. He's assigned you someone that you need to be accountable to, someone that you need to sit under. And if you're at this church, accept the pastoring of, of the pastors. Accept the shepherding of the pastors. Some of us, we come, but I'm not your pastor. Pastor. 
I'm not your pastor. T.D. Jakes may be your pastor, but I'm not your pastor. And if God wanted T.D. Jakes to be your pastor, he would have moved your job to Texas. And if God wanted Walter Malone to be your pastor, you'll be there right now. Our aim as pastors is a mature, a church that's growing and mature. Now, we welcome immaturity because immaturity means new birth. It means new life. It means that someone has given their life to Jesus. There should always be immaturity in the church. But we should be growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Do you look the same way as you did? five years ago, last year, or are you growing? That term pastor is a very intimate term. The term shepherd is a very intimate term. A shepherd knew his sheep. A shepherd knew each of his sheep so personally, he would give them names. A shepherd's job was to keep that sheep focused. Sheep had very moist noses. Flies would attract to their noses. And sometimes flies would go up their noses and keep them from being able to see correctly. That shepherd would take his finger or take an object, get that fly out of the sheep's nose. If he saw the sheep going astray, he would give him a gentle nudge. That's why David in Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Listen, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name. Say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fill nor evil, for thou art with me. Listen to what he says. Thy rod and thy staff, it comforts me. Now, David wasn't talking about his rod and his staff. He said God's rod and God's staff. He's the shepherd. God is the, he is the sheep. God is the one who's shepherding. What is he saying? He's saying God is the one who keeps me in line with gentle nudges. And I don't see that as a bad thing. I see that as comfort because he is the one who's going to lead me out of the valley into green pastures. So we want to see our pastors gentle nudges, not as things that are sent to hurt us, but things that are sent to help us. Because God has given us under shepherds. And when we stand and we preach the word of God, we are using God's staff to get us back in line. What's amazing about this text and about the book of 1 Corinthians is that even though Paul is dealing with a church that is immature, he loves them dearly. Chapter 3, verse 1, he calls them brothers. Chapter 1, verse 3, he calls them saints. How can the Apostle Paul love a church that is in so much disarray. It's because he knows that even though they are not living right practically, they are saints and they are living uh, and they are loved by God positionally. Even though we are immature, and even as you leave here today, you say, may say, man, this message really hit me because I know I'm not growing. I know I'm on the milk of God's word. 
I know that my life from Monday through Saturday looks completely different than when I come to church or when I come to Sunday school. I know that I'm not being active in pursuing the mind of Christ. I know that I don't have a servant's heart. I know I'm like an infant just crying out, I want, I want, I want, and I'm not taking the, the, the sovereignty of God seriously. What you need to do is look to God and say, God still loves me as if, as if I'm perfect. He still calls me a saint. He still calls me a child because of what his son Jesus did for me on Calvary's cross. That is amazing. That is amazing that Paul calls them brothers. That is amazing that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul calls them saints. So even if you are in spiritual infancy, look to the God who says, I love you because you're my child. This morning, one of my kids did the unthinkable. They did the unthinkable. They took a pen, and they went to, a, to our leather couch that we had recently purchased. And we were upstairs getting ready, and they scribbled all over that couch. I mean, did a working. I have never responded like this. I came downstairs, and I was just speechless. I said, <gasps> Amber came in, she was like, what? And we both are just looking at each other speechless, confused. And then anger came over me because I know that they know better. So we had to discipline that child. And they were sitting in the corner doing time out while we were getting ready, just crying and weeping. Their immaturity got them in trouble. But you know, when I was driving to church, I looked at them through the, the, through the rear mirror, and my heart was just overwhelmed with love. Because that's my child. That's my baby. No matter where you are today, if you are a Christian, you are God's child. And I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did this week. He looks at you, and he says, discipline may be required, but I love you. And how do you know that I love you? Because I gave my son for you. Because he died for you. Let that motivate you to love. After my child was disciplined, the other child saw how bad the situation was. And they just kept coming to me, saying, Daddy, can I have a hug? <laughs> and I knew that this child was attempting to make up <laughs> for what was wrong, because they saw their sibling going to work on the couch and knew it was wrong. Cap, Daddy, come here. Can I have a hug? Daddy, do you love me? Daddy, can I have a kiss? Seeing the love of God and how much he loves us should motivate us to serve him, to know him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Forest Baptist Church. I pray that you would help us to grow in spiritual maturity. I pray, Father God, that you would allow us to have the mind of Christ 
a mind that is not arrogant, a mind that is not critical, a mind that is not jealous and filled with strife, but a mind that is God-centered, a mind that wants to go to work for you because you went to work for us. Help us to shake off an attitude that says that other people's lives are meant to be lived for us and to put on an attitude that said my life is meant to be lived for others. My life is meant to know Jesus. Help us to submit to those whom you have given us as pastors, as our authority. Help us not to just be hearers of the word week in and week out and then just live however we want. But help us to seek out help and to be honest and be transparent and to submit to your leadership. In Jesus' name.